0: accelerating careers in real estate with nick carman brought to you by mcdonald and company the accelerating careers in real estate podcast is now supported by the urban land institute to find out more about becoming a member please follow the link in the show notes remembering to quote the promo code acre to take advantage of all the benefits of our partnership more details at the end of this podcast
1: Hi, I'm Nick Carmen, and this is the Accelerating Careers in Real Estate Podcast, and the second edition of our mini-series talking to those who've chosen to walk the less-trodden path of starting their own company within real estate. Now, I want you to sit back, relax, and be inspired. But before we get to that, I have a small favour to ask. If you're listening on an Apple device, at the bottom of the podcast page is a review section. Please just pop down there now, leave a review. You might not know it, but to a podcaster, these are gold, the Apple algorithm, and really important to the sex of the pod. So without further ado, let's introduce today's guests.
2: Hi everyone. I'm Ricardo. I'm the CEO and co-founder of Gravity Co-Living. I'm uh, Italian. I moved to London back in 2008. Studied here, uh, financial management. Eventually, ended up working uh, all over the world. Pretty much mainly in uh, Europe, and eventually um, for about two and a half years in, in Southeast Asia, between uh, Bangkok and Hong Kong, uh, where I worked uh, mainly in private equity and real estate. I moved back to London in 2018 to start my own business, um, of course, Gravity. And since then, we've been, uh, you know, we've been growing quite fast. We have now four locations, operations in London. We have about 200 beds, uh, about £3 million of revenue. And you know the portfolio is growing uh, pretty fast, not just in the UK, but also across Europe.
3: Hi, I'm Holly Porter. I'm the founder of Urbane London Limited, which is a property development company with my business partner, Duncan Wilson, which specialises in central London development opportunities, focusing on modern metal construction and new types of build to rent, such as co-living. Since I've been quite young, I've always wanted to have my own business. I remember even as a very young child at seven or eight, picturing myself in my 20s, walking around and driving around, um, looking at different properties that I owned or was engaged with. Interestingly, when I was 18, I decided to study architecture. My dad tried to warn me off it, having been in architecture his whole career. And I trained to be an architect. I then went on to run an architectural practice for probably around 15 years, surface to air. And that really, I suppose, led me on a journey of I suppose interest in the wider aspects of construction i think one of the things that i got really fascinated with during my time running my architectural practice was the idea of modern methods of construction and this really came out of the last recession that we had where there were a lot of building programs that were cut in the public sector we were primarily working in in the school sector and uh, modular construction off-site construction became in vogue and in fashion And I effectively jumped on that bandwagon in some ways and became a specialist in it. And that really took me through the recession and very much out of it. And we won offsite building of the year award for one of the schools that we designed with a volumetric producer. And from that point on, I went on to advise different developers and contractors on how they could become modular. And at a certain point, I realized that I was adding a lot of value to lots of other people's projects. But actually, what I should be doing is doing some of these developments for myself. So that took me into a different space, really. I was very lucky to meet my business partner, Duncan, who is in land and finance. So we come in very, very different skill sets. And together, we started Abain London, which, as I mentioned before, is really about creating interesting development opportunities in the build to rent sector in central London or you know, sometimes greater London, um, we've got some really exciting sites going on at the moment. Um, we've got 100 units coming out in the next year, and that for me is going to be an exciting opportunity, particularly post-COVID and, and what the world's going to bring with that um, new landscape that we have to see. But always in parallel with my, I suppose, in versa commas, business career, I've always been very passionate about networks um, and the importance of social engagement and my role as a woman within the property and construction sector. And to that event, actually, when I graduated from the Royal College of Art, I decided that I wanted to set up something which enabled young women like myself at that point to engage with role models and people that they wanted to be in years to come. And in at that point in time, there weren't many visible female role models that you could see in the press. So I searched for them, found out there were lots of amazing women, and out of that, Chicks With Bricks were born, which is a network which is proactive um, and positive about engaging young women and older women in the industry together. And since we've done that, we've had probably over about 50 events, which have all been incredibly successful. And we're looking forward to the future. And I was very honoured to receive the Points of Light Award um, from Boris Johnson, of all people, and actually a couple of years ago for the work we've been doing in this sector. But for me, I think you've always got to balance your personal ambitions with your social responsibility and, and the role that you are setting for future generations in the jobs that you do.
4: Hi, I'm Justin Shi, and I am founder of Citizen G. I am 29 years old, so I set up Citizen G about three years ago. Before that, I was working at JLL, which I'm sure a lot of your listeners will be familiar with. Before that, I did a master's in real estate, and I did an undergraduate degree in theology, which was fascinating but didn't necessarily lead me to a particular vocation. But nonetheless, I'm glad I spent three years studying it. Um, So what do we do at Citizen G is we help older people live in multi-generational communities. So we saw a gap in the market to create a different kind of retirement living product. We spoke to tons of older people and virtually all of them told us they didn't want to move into a retirement home because they were full of old people which is an observation we often find quite funny. But when you're onto your 10th, 90-year-old man who tells you that he doesn't want to live with a load of old people, you think, okay, maybe there's something in this. Uh, so what we have done is we've created a technology platform and a suite of local partners where we can effectively provide older people with all the same support and services as they would get in a retirement home, but deliver that within a multi-generational community. So we partnered with some of the best built-to-rent to landlords across the country, and we are providing that kind of service to older people to help them live in mixed-age schemes.
1: Let's get into it then. Why have these guests chose to walk a different path than many of their peers and made the decision to start a new company?
2: Yeah, so I think, you know, for me, I was always sort of uh, against the status quo since I was a kid. Uh, you know, the idea of going through high school, university, internship, job, 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 you know, getting married and retiring, I was, I was always a bit against that, even though I followed most of the steps so far. But eventually it got to a point where, you know, after working for a number of investment companies in Europe and Asia mainly, right after after uni, I, I was quite lucky actually working for a small to mid-sized company where it was directly working with the with the founders, so quite an entrepreneurial type of outfits. But you know, the, the the last company I worked for, which is probably the one where I my my learning curve was best, while I was there, I basically had an opportunity to stay there and, and work for that company pretty much long term for as much for as long as I wanted. And um, I got to the point where you know th- the things I was the tasks that we're doing are, were getting a bit repetitive. And uh, I didn't really feel challenged uh, with myself. You know, I was just always doing the same things. At the end of the day, you know, you evaluate opportunities, you present the opportunities to the board, and you know, it was it was a great experience, but it was just becoming a bit too repetitive. So at that point, I was, I thought it was time for me to leave. You know, set up something that I believed strongly in, and I th- I felt like it was just not an opportunity to build a, an amazing business and an amazing product for a target demographic but also to transfer some of the skills I learned while working in real estate and private equity in the previous years to my new venture effectively you know i was always you know i always i, I guess you know when you when you start a business like mine uh, it's it's a bit of a of a new concept if you will within the real estate world and You know, there are some uh, downsides, of course, like the fact that being a new concept and being somewhere between tech and real estate, there's, there's, of course, a lot of challenges in terms of setting up the business, finding the first property, finding the right capital partner.
3: Yeah, I mean, for me, I think I was incredibly lucky. I had two wonderful parents who were incredibly supportive. Both came from teaching backgrounds, and they'd always brought me up to to believe that I could do whatever I wanted to do, I could be whoever I wanted to be. And it was interesting because after I graduated, I was working for a great practice, Kohn Pedersen Fox, in New York, and then in London. But I just had itchy feet, and I felt I wanted to run my own thing, and I wanted to kind of create my my own landscape. I remember talking to my parents about this and they were horrified. They said, why would you want to leave the security of this wonderful job that you've got? And I said, because, you know, you brought me up to believe that I could achieve anything and I I could do anything. And this is just a natural kind of next stage for me to do that. And for them, they were kind of quite shocked by it. But in the end, they kind of came around to the idea. I mean, I've always felt I wanted to paddle my own canoe. I've always felt. I wanted to be in control of my own destiny. And the best advice I got, actually, before I started my business was, it's best to start it as young as you possibly can because the the risks are so much less. You know, it's much harder when you get older and you've got children, you've got responsibilities and, you know, your, your cost of living is higher. You know, the most important thing is just to get going as soon as you feel there's an opportunity to get going and not worry too much about what the future holds. But the other thing that, you know, I think for me was important was never burn your bridges. You know, my KPF were incredibly supported when I started my own practice. They um, effectively let me do it part-time for a period of two years, which enabled me to get it off the ground um, while obviously working for them. So, you know, it's very important when you start out that you go for it, but you also need to keep an eye on reality of cash flow. And if you can get a part-time job to support you doing it, then that's definitely worth doing.
4: So what made me set up Citizen G, in the first place, I'd say there were two reasons. I think the first one was I was very passionate about the product generally. So I grew up living with my grandfather and I'd kind of experienced the benefits of intergenerational living. And I believed there was a gap in the market to create something there. So there was the kind of general interest and passion of the actual product that I was creating because I'd somewhat lived that. And I think the second thing was generally just. I just kind of knew that working in a company in a corporate was just not the the life I wanted to live. And like I enjoyed it. I had a good time there. I'm really glad I did it. But you know, I could never see myself be there in, you know, 20, 30, 40 years. I kind of often looked at people on alternative kind of career paths and thought, actually that seems more exciting to me. And I think the bit that I thought was exciting was the ability to create something new, the accountability of actually like owning something and being, yeah, and, and obviously the, the reward that you see in creating something completely new is is something that I did at the time found fascinating and I still do. And I think just generally the challenge, like just trying, to, just putting yourself completely out of your comfort zone and thinking like, hey, you know, let's do this. Let's see if this could happen. Like the odds are obviously stacked against me, you know, Nine out of 10 startups fail, but cool, let's give it a
1: go. Let's see what we can make of it. So we know what they're doing, but given the risk of starting a new company, when did our guests first feel validated they were on the right track? Yeah,
2: I mean, I think uh, probably when we opened the first building, you know, it took us quite a while to get to the first one, you know, it took us about a year to source the first opportunity. A lot of ups and downs, but eventually, once we did open that one, we, we had a lot of, uh, you know, we, we prepared an operational budget for the uh, developer we were working with. And we had certain expectations in terms of, uh, you know, the lease up of the first property, which was not a, a you know, big, big property, but it was about a 40 units uh, building in, in Finsbury Park in London. And, you know, when we started leasing, renting out the units in September 19, we were quite surprised because eventually we went from zero to 95% occupancy within, I think, just short of uh, 60 days. And that to me and to the team and to my co-founder as well was a a big success because we we would have never thought that within 60 days we we were 100% occupied. So, you know, it was just... a a way for us to validate the product and the concept and knowing that the demand was out there and we just needed to get more product to satisfy the the, the demand. I guess another point that was for us a very good validation was most recently, you know, when we first started working on Gravity, my co-founder and I, as I mentioned earlier, co-living wasn't really an asset class. It was very much uh, the early days of the sector. And uh, there was a lot of uh, skepticism from uh, real estate investors and developers. You know, fast forward roughly three years, two and a half years, and, uh, and that sec- skepticism has gone away almost entirely. Like we're seeing now a lot more residential developers, you know, student accommodation developers, service department developers getting into the sector. Uh, we see some of the big private equity real estate funds, global funds, that want to get into the sector, not necessarily with a purpose-built co-living model, but even with a more traditional PRS model, but with a co-living operating platform behind. So I think that, again, was a, a, good, a, a very good way for us to validate what we were doing and understand that not, not only we were looking into this for a number of years, but now also the big real estate players were looking into this.
3: I think it's interesting when you start your own business. I think a lot of entrepreneurs that I've met <laughs> share a similar um, approach, which they all have a bit of imposter syndrome. You know, you feel like you're never, you know, quite good enough to be doing what you're doing and you're constantly striving for the next level, or the next thing that you can do. And it's it's very common amongst all of my kind of professional um, friends that I have in this sector. I mean, I think you get points of recognition, you know, getting my first project as an architect was a big point, winning different awards. like The Offside Award was a big moment and then since I started my new business at Bain London, we have really focused on getting great sites and we've got a brilliant site in Ealing, which again was a massive opportunity for you. So you have these seminal moments where you know it's going to be a game changer for where the business is going to go. But I think the hallmark of all entrepreneurs is it's almost never enough. You're always looking for the next plateau, the next thing that you've got to aim for. And it is important to sometimes look back and and see those moments and appreciate them for what they are rather than constantly push forward all the time.
4: There have been a number of instances, and I'd I'd say they're they're generally split into either uh, validation around the business and the business model or the business idea or the space, and that happens sometimes when you, yeah, I don't know when you when you pitch for something or when you get a customer or when you get really lovely customer feedback. Uh, Someone recently came to see one of our properties, and they had been to a neighbouring retirement home the day before, and they came around and they said, "Wow." this is so much better than what I saw yesterday, and it's more affordable. And that was for me really great validation around the actual business, thinking, okay, nice. Like that's exactly what we want, what we set out to achieve. So that was lovely. But then also there's the kind of yeah, validation around me as an entrepreneur and just trying things and like growing into that mold. And that is yeah that's really rewarding as well when you kind of often there are moments of doubt when you think oh god i'm never going to do this like the people who have done it before me are so much more talented like i'm you know other entrepreneurs i know seem to have different journeys they're almost like superheroes and then sometimes you when you do achieve something you give yourself some personal credit and you think oh actually like yeah It does turn out anyone can do it. (laughs) You just have to try really, really hard and and try and be smart about how you work. And then, yeah, I mean, anything is achievable if you put your mind to it.
1: So all entrepreneurs, I suspect, are probably optimists in some form or another. So they probably have a habit of playing down those pitfalls. And in the interest of a balanced discussion, I ask our guests, what was the greatest challenge they've faced? Yeah,
2: I mean, there's a lot of challenges, as you, as I'm sure you know. Uh, I would say more generic challenges, probably, you know, managing expectations. You know, when when we first launched the business, when we started, you know, when we incorporated the business was uh, 2018. We thought we would get the first building up and running within the, within the first six months, and it took us about 12. So I think managing expectations and not being too upset when you can't deliver what you think you can deliver because you're too optimistic, uh, I think it's something that can can be a challenge to overcome, you know, because eventually, you know, you, you can put targets to yourself, like, you know, could be fundraising, could be sourcing assets, could be hiring the right employees and so on. And sometimes it just doesn't work as planned. And, uh, i think it's important as an entrepreneur to to be able to manage these expectations and and be realistic with the uh with the uh, potential outcomes that you might have uh you know while while you building a company similarly i think you know being i guess it's a consequence of managing expectation is trying to be motivated all the time because you have so many ups and downs you know sometimes it's can be can be hard you know sometimes you you think you um, you're about to close a deal you're about to get a new investor and then eventually it doesn't happen and you know you get a lot of you get a lot of uh, nos bego- before you get a yes from investors from developers from uh, you know partner companies and so on and I think that's also something that overall can be quite challenging uh, mentally for an entrepreneur and I think it's also about trying to leaving no no room, no space for negativity. You know, sometimes people around you, there might be often people that are very, very close to you will advise you against being an entrepreneur or uh, will advise you against, you know, running your own business after seeing how how stressful it can be for a person to run their own business. And I think if if you start listening to all these negative voices then eventually it's it's uh, I think it's easy to, to just give up and uh, you know, go back to the normal employee life or uh, employed life. And I think this is uh, to me, it's quite important. You know, I had in several occasions people telling me, are you sure this is the right thing? You know, and you know, after a while, you just learn to ignore certain certain voices, even though you know, sometimes it's uh, it's good to sort of keep track of uh, how things are progressing, uh, not just from a business perspective, but also from, a you know, in general with, in life. M- when more specifically discussing gravity and, you know, our company, I would say the most challenging aspect was at the beginning, finding the right capital partners. As I said, we are probably more of a real estate company there than a tech company, uh, but we do use technology the same way that, you know, Uber or uh, a lot of companies that are, that are considered highly tech companies are using technology. At the same time, I feel like we're a lot closer to, to, to the real estate world. So finding the right capital partners has been uh, initially historically uh, a bit of a challenge. Now we, uh, we have found... Some good investors that we have on board and they're supporting us with the expansion not just from a capital perspective but also from a real estate slash pipeline perspective uh, which is good and then the other point was which again i've just addressed with uh, mentioning the investors but it was the sourcing assets uh, aspect especially the first asset i mean as i said our expectation when we launched the company was to was to open uh, the first building within 6 months and it took us uh, just over a year and you know when you when you operate mid to large scale assets and you are a, a new company with zero track record it's just hard to convince professional or institutional lender to give you the keys to the building and uh, Make sure that they're comfortable enough to uh, to do that effectively. You know, we uh, it can be also very costly. You know, if you if you secure lease agreements, of course you have to put down guarantees. The guarantees can can be can come with different forms, but typically as a startup, you have to put down quite a lot of cash to guarantee uh, lease agreements, which means you need to find the right investors that are willing to provide cash to be effectively put in a bank account and, you know, sit there for years potentially. Uh, That's, of course, changing now with a track record. But I would say these two were probably the most challenging things to begin with. Um, And, you know, now while we scale the business, you know, as I mentioned earlier, we have now 200 units four locations in London with about another 350 in pipeline uh, here, plus another 160 in Spain, uh, in Madrid. Uh, And I think the other challenging part is finding the right, building the right team effectively, attracting the right talent and making sure that you create a culture where your employees are comfortable to tell you the truth no matter what. And I think that's something that to us as a company, to me specifically and my co-founder Susanna, I think it's quite a, an important message to send to everyone we, we, we hire uh, or we've hired in the past. And of, of course, you know, it's always, uh, it's always hard to set up, um, to establish a company's culture. But we do our best to, uh, you know, to, to do that in, in, in the most ethical and sustainable way.
3: I think the greatest challenges, interestingly for me, have always been, you know, you don't know what you don't know. So it sounds like an obvious phrase, but all of these cliche phrases almost always come out to be true. (laughs) And certainly when you're an entrepreneur, you know, it's things like recessions, you know, I'd actually not lived through a recession until, you know, we had the global crash um, when I was in my 20s. And, you know, the shock of that, having never expected it to happen, you know, always thinking my business would carry on as normal um, was a real eye opener to me. And I think it's it's those types of things again we had covid which came in and and for me they're not things you can really plan for they're curveballs that come in and you have to adapt and you have to push forward with them but i think what makes the difference between you know sticking there and not sticking in there is just having an ability to dig deep when things get difficult and also be flexible and adaptable to the opportunities that you've got out of both those points of you know adversity for example COVID, we bought a site. we'd got a great planning permission on it, COVID hit, so we didn't start building at that point. We actually gave us time to reflect, for instance, and then we went back in with a scheme to planning that we felt was actually much better than the one we had before, which was future-proof then against COVID and the way that we designed it because we were thinking through how people will live in a different way post-COVID. And actually. What's come out of it is a much better scheme that we think is a much better product, um, which will take us forward, I think, over the next decade in terms of the types of developments that we want to do. So, you know, I think lots of things come up. But, you know, the, the most important thing is you just have the tenacity to keep going and work through it, but always remain flexible that, you know, you might have to approach things in a slightly different way to get out of it. You know, try not to be too linear. And yeah, that would probably be my my advice.
4: So one of the greatest challenges is just the sheer time that it takes to do something. Like I'm a very impatient person and I have a short attention span. And I know that's something that uh, that's a trait that a lot of entrepreneurs share because usually they're impatient and just want to get on with things. And, you know, trying to take a 10 year view to something, which is really how long it does take, you know, people, it takes 10 years to really build a successful business usually, like trying to think in the kind of that kind of decades mind frame, a, I find a real challenge. And there are lots of instances when I think I've taken kind of more short term decisions. I've made a short term decision, and then I look back in six months or a year, and I think, oh, if only I had have actually at that point in time adopted more of a long term mindset, I would probably be further ahead right now. So the sheer time of things is just like that's a, that's a real challenge to me. Just trying to alter that mindset. And I think another challenge that I find is trying to recalibrate risk because you are like, obviously, if you've got, if you set something up, you are always, always, there's a risk, there's a big risk to it. The, the chances are that you'll probably fail because most startups fail. Obviously, I don't think that. And no one thinks that setting their company up, but you know, you can't, the statistics are there. And so you're constantly trying to, outweigh what is what I call kind of short-term chronic risk versus long-term systemic risk. The way I think about that is that humans are really designed to uh, maximise and feel their short-term chronic risk a lot, because that's how we survive, uh, by being aware of risks that are around us and reacting to them and trying to minimise them in our life. So anything which is seems like a short-term risk such as like, ah, when's my where's my next paycheck coming from? Or like, ah, what happens if this doesn't work out? All those things are, I'm always trying to fight them in order to, for, for the more rational way of thinking, which is actually thinking, okay, well, actually, if I don't take these short-term chronic risks now, they're, they're, there's a bigger risk ultimately to me, and that's a long-term systemic risk. So the longer-term risk to me is that in 10 years' time, I will, if I, you know, had a very comfortable corporate job, in 10 years time, I look back and think, ah, oh, I really wish I had have taken that risk when I was younger. <laughs> and so the bigger risk to me is is, is that longer term risk that I will look back at some point and think, ah, oh, I should have taken this risk when I was younger and I can't, can no, now no longer turn back time. But as humans, we are constantly evolved to think about that short-term risk. So yeah, it's just that mindset of trying to think about risk in different ways is, is the way I look at it. And, every, and everyone thinks differently about it. I mean, that's how I look at those two risks. Other people would look back at 10 years and think, oh, I'm so glad I never took those risks. It's just depend on what kind of person you are.
1: So before we wrap up, if listening to this pod has got you excited about the opportunities and the pitfalls of starting your own business in real estate, here's some advice from our guests. As always, thank you very much for listening. And please keep your messages of support coming in, particularly if you've got ideas for future guests.
2: First of all, you need to be 100% convinced that, you're going to, that you, you want to do something on your own. I mean, it's not for everyone, let's be honest. I think it's, uh, you know, the reason why I'm saying that people should be 100% convinced when, when making the jump is because it's, it's very easy to give up or to, um, you know, to decide when you don't see the results that you, you were wishing to see, it's very easy to just give up and uh, go back to the employed life, let's say. So I think that's very, very, very important. I think it's very important to surround yourself with the right people, having the right co-founder or co-founders, making sure you, you know your co-founders before, you know, get to know them well before you actually, pull the trigger and, and incorporate the, the, the business. I'm very lucky to have a, a great co-founder uh, at Gravity. Uh, we didn't know each other very well before, but we had a lot of mutual friends and um, you know, that sort of helped building up the relationship. So I think that's, that's very key, it's very, having the right advisors on board, not necessarily you know in the cap table, but just having someone, some mentors that you can rely to, you can ask the right questions, And also very, very important, always take care of your mental health, do sport, try and eat well, try and eat healthy, sorry. And, um, you know, try and always have surround yourself with people you can talk to and you can be transparent and and get, you know, honest, honest feedback from.
3: I think that someone said to me, let me see if I can get this right. You know, in your 20s, you're really worried about what everybody's saying about you in your 30s you don't care what everybody's saying about you. And then in your 40s, you realize that no one's talking about you anyway. So I think my advice to my younger self or anyone else is, don't worry about what people are saying about you. You know, In reality, no one is really that interested in your life. You've got to make your life what you want it to be and you need to get on with it. So listen to the people whose opinion you respect, listen to the people's opinion, people that are close to you but you know remember you've got to paddle your own canoe and don't be too wet you know don't be too blown off course by other people's opinion of you or what you're doing you just need to know what you want to achieve and stick on a kind of strong trajectory to to get there the other thing i would say is you have to have an interesting balance between tenacity and stubbornness because when things get difficult you do have to hold you know hold a line but also have the ability to be flexible and i think that's one of the things that entrepreneurs really do need to have both those skills which is quite different you know you have to have an ability to hold you know hold a line and be linear for some things when you need to be but also be flexible in other opportunities to see opportunities and, and make new new waves and new ways of doing things so those are the other two things and I think probably the last thing is take lots of advice I had a brilliant business mentor at the start of my career I've had mentors all through my career today and the difference has been immense they they make you who you are and they can tell you the things that have gone wrong for them you know always listen to those that have done it before because as i said you don't know what you don't know but you can listen to people that have done it before and get their advice and that will hopefully temper how you approach things and the last thing i suppose is always remember your manners it's a very small industry be kind be firm you know you have to do business but always remember to be give people respect that you work with because in the end you know people are the basis for the relationships that are formed in the property and construction sector and it's very important that you build your network from an early stage um because it will support you as you your career moves on
4: the the only way you can learn everything is just to get on and do it ultimately like there is yeah there you, you just have to take the plunge you just have to get in get stuck in at the deep end figure it out as quickly as you can and what you will learn will be like you can't you can't teach that in a book and you can't Teach that in, you know, experience working five years in a job. And I think the the real estate industry is very good at telling you that you have to do certain things. So, you know, you have to spend X many years here, then you have to spend Y many years here and become a director. And you have to do all these tick's bocking things. In reality, if you really want to do it, just get on and do it. Just you will learn so much so fast. And the worst that can happen, the very worst that can happen is you fail and then you go get a job again and that job you get will probably be better than the job you could have got before because you would have learned so much more. So, yeah, that's, that's the only advice I could
0: say is just get out and do it. The Urban Land Institute is the oldest and largest network of cross-disciplinary real estate and land use experts in the world with more than 45,000 global members. The ULI's ethos of personal development makes them an ideal collaborator on our podcast – and we encourage our listeners to learn more and become members by signing up at uli.org forward slash join, quoting the promo code ACRE. Thank you for listening.